a miracle is. And have you ever seen one? Okay, ready, set, find a friend or make a new one, go. All right, we use that word all the time, right? We say, it was a miracle, and if you would put up on the screen, right? It was a miracle, the 1980 hockey team, right? We had a movie about it, right? It's a miracle every time a baby is born, right? We have something that some of you eat, and I got to tell you, I have no idea why, called Miracle Whip, right? All right, come on, in, in the room, who likes Miracle Whip? Who's like, I wouldn't eat Miracle Whip if it was the only food on the planet? Okay, and some of you are somewhere, you're ambiguous. You're, you know, uh, Miracle Whip curious or something. Um, all right, and then you remember the plane that happened on the Hudson River a couple years ago, right? The miracle landing, right? We use that word miracle a lot. We throw it around. Uh, but it's, and so because we do that, it can make it really hard to, to kind of know what we're saying when we say Jesus did miracles, right? Because we have this way that we use this word in so many different ways, right? And so I wanted you to talk a little bit about that because it helps to think about uh, what is a miracle? What do we mean? What does the Bible mean when it, when it says that there was a sign or a miracle performed, okay? So I'm going to start with a working definition, and we can play with this along the way. Maybe you want to add to it or maybe subtract from it, but I would be willing to and interested to hear how you uh, give feedback about that. But here's a working definition, so we're all on the same page when I'm using the word miracle, okay? A miracle is an extraordinary event in which the power and presence of God is obvious to us. Or, in more colorful terms, shazam, right? It's when the power and the presence of God are obvious to us, right? And we look at it and we say, that's God. It has to be God, right? We're going to look at a story tonight as we continue. If you're new to the well, we're going through the book uh, of the gospel according to St. John uh, this semester and really the whole year. We're going to be going through the gospel of John and looking at the life, the ministry, uh, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and how does that help us live our lives today. And the story we're going to look at tonight is from John chapter 6. And it's a really good story and probably one that if you have spent much time in church uh, as a kid, maybe you went to Sunday school, it's probably a story you've heard before. And if you haven't done any of those things, you're in the same boat that I was when I started going to church, okay? It's all right. Um, you just don't know what the story is, and some other folks have heard it before. The story uh, goes like this, right? In the, in the kid's version, Jesus is going to try to feed 5,000 people, and a little kid comes up to him, and he's got five loaves of bread and... Two fish. And when we read that story, often in Sunday school, we read it and we say, wow, look at what Jesus can do when we bring what little we have to him. And that's a great application of that story. It's exactly right. But it's not the only thing in the story. And so what I want to invite you to look at tonight is to look at not the little boy, as great as that part of the story is, but to look at these five thousand people and how they respond to this miracle so pay attention to them as we read the story together tonight from john chapter 6 starting at verse 1 and going down through the end of that story 
in verse 15. It's also on the screen if you don't have your Bible with you. So sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that's the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs that had been performed by the healing of the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and he sat down with his disciples. Now the Jewish Passover festival was very close by. When Jesus looked and he saw such a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Now he asked this only to test him, for Jesus knew what he had in mind to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each person to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, he spoke up and he said, here's a boy, he's got five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have them sit down. Now there was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus took the loaves. He gave thanks to God. And he distributed them among those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. Now when they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left. Don't let anything go to waste. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. saw the sign that Jesus performed. They began to say, this is the prophet who is to come. The one who's coming into the world. But Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountainside by himself. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. It's a good story, right? Right up until the end. Jesus is becoming a very popular leader in Israel, right? So popular, in fact, that we read here that not just a few, but thousands of people are beginning to follow him, right? The, the text that we read uh, says that they were um, uh, coming after him. Uh, maybe your uh, version says something different in verse 5. But uh, in the, the original text says that these men were following him. And that means they're not just listening to him. They're not just spectators. They're following him. The Greek word here is a really fun word. It's fun in your mouth, so I want you to try it. Okay? It's akalutheo. You get to use your whole mouth. It's great. Try it. Akalutheo. I got to tape that someday. That's so much fun. Right? It's so much fun. Here's the thing about that word. In the Gospels, it only gets used to talk about disciples. When Peter and James and John, when Jesus comes to them and he says, I want you to come with me because I'm going to make you fishers of men, it says that they leave their things and they akalutheo, 
Jesus. They follow. So this isn't just a a group of people who are out for an interesting afternoon uh, with Jesus. These are people who are becoming disciples. 5,000 of them. They are akalutheo, Jesus. Because, John tells us, they saw the signs that he was performing. The miracles that he was doing. And they are about to get a front row seat to a miracle. I mean, it must have been kind of fun in a challenging way to walk with Jesus when he was on earth, you know, because with the kind of twinkle in his eye, he turns and he asks Philip, so, boy, where are we going to get enough bread for all these people? Huh? Wink, wink. Philip says, you've got to be kidding, Jesus. There's no way we could get enough bread for this. It would take all that we have. Andrew, I think jokingly, says, hey, uh, we found this kid. He's got five barley loaves and two fish, but uh, I may not quite make it. Jesus tells them, have everybody sit down. And after giving thanks to God for this bountiful feast that's been set before us, he proceeds to break the bread and to hand it out. And we've got an icon of this, if, you would, if, if it's available. Yeah, it's kind of a fun little iconic picture of this. You see how the water is streaming down from heaven? Isn't that fun? So Jesus distributes this five loaves and two fish, and he feeds everybody. And after everybody's done, they fill up 12 more baskets. I mean, that's a pretty sweet miracle. It's not quite water-to-wine miracle, but it's pretty close. That's a pretty good miracle. But then something happens. Instead of thanking God for this gracious gift that they had just received, they want to make Jesus king by force, it says. They want to start a war with Jesus as the champion. Their response to the miracle should have been to give glory to God, but instead, they try to hold on to that glory for all it's worth make it for themselves miracles are awesome but man sometimes we misunderstand them sometimes we miss the point I think that temptation is true for all of us isn't it it's so tempting to take the extraordinary gifts that God gives us and the extraordinary events that happen in our lives and to try to then bend God toward making those things happen again. To try to bend God to being who we want him to be and to doing the things that we want him to do. Right? The thing about that is, in effect, when the, the practice of trying to bend God to your will and to saying, this is who I want God to be, is the practice of making an idol. That's kind of problematic, right? I mean, but it's this temptation that we have when God does a, an extraordinary event in our lives and we want to bend him and make him, make him do that all the time, make him do what we want him to do, right? I want to give you a couple extreme examples of this, okay, to help, help clarify the point, right? 
So if we believe that Christ's main purpose on earth, the main goal that he had in coming to earth, was to promote our own personal development and well-being. And while we may not articulate that, quite often it lies under the surface of our lives. Right? If we believe that, we can end up with a, a Christ that looks something like this. Cardinal Glick. Thank you, thank you. Now, we all know how the majority and the media in this country view the Catholic Church. They think of us as a passé, archaic institution. People find the Bible obtuse, even hokey. Now, in an effort to disprove all that, the Church has appointed this year as a time of renewal, both of faith and of style. For example, the crucifix. While it has been a time-honored symbol of our faith, Holy Mother Church has decided to retire this highly recognizable yet wholly depressing image of our Lord crucified. Christ didn't come to earth to give us the willies. He came to help us out. He was a booster. And it's with that take on our Lord in mind that we come up with a new, more inspiring sigil. So it is with great pleasure that I present you with the first of many revamps the Catholicism Wow campaign will unveil over the next year. I give you... The Buddy Christ. But that's not the sanctioned term we're using for the symbol, just something we've been kicking around the office. But look at it. Doesn't it pop Buddy Christ? If any of you are thinking, I have to see that movie, it's called Dogma. Highly recommended. It's actually on my list. Uh, it's on the Scott Stark Award list for best satire on religious things. It's fantastic. But isn't it true? Doesn't it hit something, maybe uncomfortably so, that we kind of want Jesus to not, not, not be so much like this and calling us to die, but hey, buddy. Good to see you. And if that's who we want Jesus to be, the question has to come, is that who he is, right? Is that who he is? But we all have this temptation to make God be who we want him to be. If we think Christ's main purpose of coming to earth was to promote our comfort, our sense of personal security and well-being, it might be that we have a Christ who looks like this. Dear Lord, baby Jesus, or as our brothers to the south call you, Jesus, we thank you so much for this bountiful harvest of Domino's, KFC, and the always delicious Taco Bell. I just want to take time to say thank you for my family, my two beautiful, beautiful, handsome, striking sons, Walker and Texas Ranger, or TR as we call them. And, of course, my red-hot smoking wife, Carly, who is a stone-cold fox, mm. who if you were to rate her ass on 100, it would easily be a 94. Mm. Also, I want to thank you for my best friend and teammate, Cal Naughton Jr., who's got my back no matter what. Shake and bake. Dear Lord Baby Jesus, we also thank you for my wife's father, Chip. We hope that you can use your baby Jesus powers to heal him and his horrible leg. And it smells terrible, and the dogs are always <laughs> bothering with it. Mm. Dear tiny infant Jesus. Hey, um, you know, sweetie, 
All right. Jesus did grow up. You don't always have to call him baby. It's a bit odd. Good. I know you want to watch the end of the whole thing. But when we try, right, we take extraordinary events in our lives, great things, good things that God has given us, and we try to bend God, right, to make him fit, to make him be like that all the time. We end up making a God who doesn't really look like Jesus, right? In fact, we end up making an idol. And that's kind of troublesome, right? It's troublesome, certainly, in the scriptures. This group of would-be disciples who are following Jesus, they're following him, not for who he is, right? But it says because of the signs, because of the miracles he was doing, but not for who he is. And when the substance of our faith is built on a few extraordinary events that Jesus does, but not on Jesus, it doesn't last. When the substance of our faith is built on extraordinary events that God has done for us rather than on who God is and what God is doing in the world, we often end up making an idol and calling it Jesus. Very much like the people of Israel when they come out of Egypt and Moses is up on the mountain talking to God, the people come to Aaron and they say, make us a God. And Aaron makes a God out of gold and he says, this is the God who brought you out of Egypt. Right? There's this temptation in us all the time to make God be who we want him to be and not worship God for who he is thing about that is that there's a big theological problem there, right? But when it comes right down to our own lives, when our faith, when the substance of our faith is built on trying to make God be who we want him to be, on extraordinary events that God has done in our lives, we end up living our lives for the next extraordinary event because they don't last. They go stale. Right? Faith that is nourished by extraordinary events doesn't last long. And Jesus, hear this, Jesus wants better for you than that. He wants better for you than just living your life from one extraordinary event to the next. He wants you to have a life that is full, not just for the moment, but for eternity. He actually says, in verse 6, 25 to 27, when the people start to look for him, they start chasing him, uh, going after him, trying to find where he went after he was up on the mountain. And in verses 25 through 26, Jesus says this to them. Very truly I tell you, you're looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Don't work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. You're looking for me not because of who I am, not because you saw God's glory, but because, of, because you ate the loaves, because you experienced something at a, at a moment, at, a, at an extraordinary event with God. But that doesn't last. It, it spoils. Don't work for that food. Work for food that endures. You know, bread that is soft and satisfying one day, 
hard as a rock. The next. And when we live on the kind of bread of extraordinary events, it has that same effect on us, right? I went to camp when I was a kid, and I had this powerful moment with God. But it didn't last. Stale. I had a moment with God when I was in high school. I went to this conference, and I saw God in such a powerful way. I knew he loved me. I knew he cared about me, and I would go anywhere he would tell me to go and do anything he told me to do. Stale. Last year, I went to the Passion Conference. It was so obvious that God was there. It was so powerful. There were so many people there praising Jesus. And we were all there saying, we raise our white flag. We surrender all to you, Jesus. Man, when's the next Passion Conference coming? Because it's getting old. You know, last year I went on a mission trip. And I saw God work in people's lives. And I literally saw people go from not really knowing Jesus at all to being in love with Jesus. It was so amazing. (laughs) Pop somebody in the face. Sorry. (laughs) And then you try to go back, you know? You try to warm up the bread. You try to recreate it. Those extraordinary events. And it just it doesn't, it's not the same. It's never the same. So we say, where are you, God? I'm so hungry. And all this bread, all this bread I got isn't helping at all, Jesus. It's stale. Stale. I need some more bread. Do not work for bread that spoils, but for bread that endures to eternal life. Jesus takes these disciples who are there with him, who are looking for the next extraordinary event to happen. And they're pretty sure that they can tell God exactly what it needs to be. He takes them and he walks them on a journey in the, in the next verse. It's a very long chapter in John. I'd encourage you to read it. Um, but we're not going to read it here because it's really long. It's like a whole sermon by itself. Right? And a few different times in this section from 28 to 70, Jesus says to people who are seeking substance for their lives, substance that will last, substance that will endure, he says to them in verse 35, I am the bread of life. 
Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. In verses 48 to 51, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. You catch the repetition? I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, but they died. Here is the bread that has come down from heaven, which anyone may eat and never die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. The bread that I give is my flesh, which I give, which I give for the life of the world. In verses 55 to 53, Jesus says, Truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and you drink his blood, you have no life. But whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Jesus says, without hedging it, without putting any qualifications on it, I am the substance of life. There is no other bread that will satisfy. Everything else you seek will become stale, and it will get old. Throw it away. Throw it away. Because Jesus is never going to bend himself to our will. He's never going to be the buddy Christ that we want him to be because it's not who he is. But he will always be who we need him to be. He will always be the exalted Lord, the bread of life, the substance of our being. He will always be that. In this moment, with these followers, Jesus forces a dilemma. It's all Christ, or it's not at all. That's the call of being a disciple. The substance of our faith is this one thing. Christ is the only Son of God who brings salvation to the world, and nothing else, not our politics, not our economy, nothing else will transform the world. But this one thing, I am the bread of life. The invitation he offers to all of us is to let go of the stale bread and to take the true bread from heaven to take in Jesus, to eat Jesus, to eat his words, to eat the Holy Spirit, to take it into us. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. What a promise. And that promise is for you. It's for you. Take the bread of life. We practice this belief every time we come to Holy Communion.
we act out these words that Jesus is the bread of life. Not because there's something special or particular about the bread that we use, but because eating this bread is a sign. It's a sign. It's a symbol of what Christ is doing in filling us with himself. That he alone is our substance and the one who can fill even the deepest longings inside of us. Our Lord says these words as the invitation. I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and you drink his blood, you have no life. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. For my flesh is real food. My blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in you. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that comes down from heaven. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, there are so many things going on in all of our lives tonight. Some of us are here, Jesus, and we are so hungry. We are so hungry for you because we have been eating old bread for a long time, hoping that the next thing will fill us the next thing will give us what we need to sustain us and we are just starving for you. I pray that you would fill us tonight with the sign of uh, in Holy Communion, but fill us by the power of your Holy Spirit. And some of us are here tonight, God, uh, and we're saying, Jesus, it's, it seems like so long since I've really feasted with you. Uh, I didn't even realize it. And so we pray. Fill us tonight, God. And some of us are well-fed, and we are grateful for that. And we are here again saying, Jesus, you are the bread. You're the only bread. And we affirm that again tonight. And so for all of us, God, we pray. We are hungry. We want to feed and feast on you. Not just tonight in this moment, but for our whole lives. So we offer them up to you, such as they are, for your glory. And all God's people say, Amen.